Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. So wasn't it great last week to, to be able to hear from some of our, our family and how they, they shared how God is moving in their lives and, and how God had moved in the past. And I'm excited to come back to our study this morning on the book of Daniel. But before we do that, I want to take a, a quick tour through, through Civics 101 here. Uh, anybody? I, I never really had like an official civics class. It was always just like, a few weeks in a specific grade. I don't even remember which one, maybe like sixth or seventh or something like that. And, and you have some process where you're supposed to like memorize. Like, I can't remember if I was supposed to memorize the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence. One of the two you're supposed to memorize and regurgitate. And, and so that was all well and good. But there's some important facts that we need to, to catch here. So most of us live here in the city of Fortuna. Um, where we have a, a city council that's made up of four members. So we have Tammy Trent, Jeremy Stanfield, Mike Johnson, and Mike Losey. We also have a mayor, Sue Long. Um, according to the website at the, the city of Fortuna, says the Fortuna mayor and city council are responsible for the enactment of local laws and ordinances, the adoption of the annual city budget and the capital improvement program, and the review and adoption of proposed policies, agreements, contracts, and other city business items. Council appoints the city manager and the city attorney, as well as the members of the various boards and commissions. Okay, so that's what the, the city government looks like. We also live in the state of California, right? Um, California uses uh, a separation of powers system very similar to what we see in the federal government. Uh, it's composed of three branches. So we have the executive branch, we have that's consisting of, of the governor and, and other elected officials. We have uh, within the executive branch, Gavin Newsom is the governor. Uh, Eleni Kunalakis is the lieutenant governor. Shirley Weber is the secretary of state. Re- Rob Bonta is the attorney general. Fiona Ma is the state treasurer. Uh, Betty Yee is the state controller. Tony Thurmond is the state superintendent of public instruction. And Ricardo Lara is the insurance commissioner. It's the executive branch. Within that, we have then the legislative branches. The California state legislature is... Uh, bicameral, again, just like very similar to the federal government. We have the, the California State Assembly with about 80 people in it, 80 members in it. And then we have the California State Senate, the upper house with uh, 40 members. And no, we're not going to go through and read all of those names, I promise. Uh, so they, they serve two-year terms. Members of the Senate serve four-year terms. Half the seats are up for election at any given year. Then we have the judiciary. That's the, the third branch. The, the judiciary of California interprets the laws. They, they apply the laws that are defined under the Constitution. Um, there's a hierarchical structure where we have the Supreme Court at the apex, superior courts, primary trial courts, and courts of appeal. All of those courts exist. Again, I'm not going to read you all the judges' names, 
but there's people that, that are a part of that process. We also live in the state, in the uh, nation of the United States of America, right? And so similar to all of that, we have an executive cabinet, an executive branch that's made up of the president, Joe Biden, a uh, vice president in Kamala Harris. We have 15 cabinet members covering the 15 different executive departments. Within the legislative branch, we have uh, two senators per state. Our two senators are Diane Feinstein and Alex Padilla. Each state has a number of representatives based on the number of districts that you have within that state. We in California have 53 representatives from the state of California. Then we have the judicial branch for the United States of America as well. And from there we have uh, federal courts that have been established to try federal cases. So there's 13 U.S. Courts of Appeal, which review appealed federal court cases. And then we have the U.S. Supreme Court, where uh, basically they interpret and, and hand down ultimate decisions on the law within the nation. And of course, interspersed within all of these different organizations, we have um, various agencies, various programs, various actions and initiatives that exist. And so at this point, you're probably wondering, well, goodness, Matt, why are we talking about this right now? <laughs> the, why, why is this remotely relevant to the book of Daniel? And the fact of the matter is this, that God is in control of who is in control. All of those people that we just talked about are not there in spite of God. They aren't there because God just lost track of what was going on. Every single person that sits on the, the city council of Fortuna, all the way up to who sits on the Supreme Court of the United States of America, is there because God is in control. That was an impressive list of people that, that are in charge, that are making decisions, that are influencing the direction of our city, of our state, of our country. And yet God is still on his throne. God allows leaders to rise for a season. But never once has he been taken by surprise. Never once has God been taken by surprise or allowed his purpose to falter or to fail. God is in control. Maybe some of you have seen on the Discovery Channel, Deadliest Catch. <laughs> There's the, these guys that go up into uh, the Bering Sea and they go fishing for Alaskan king crab. And the water in the Bering Sea is craziness. There, there is no reason <laughs> that people should be on a boat in that water. <laughs> it is just not a good plan. Um, there we go. <laughs> 
so the people go out in these boats. The, the waves can get as big as, as you see on TV. The ice builds up on the boat. The ice builds up in the, the water. There, all this heavy equipment that gets moved around. The fact of the matter is when you are out in that type of environment, as the, the fisherman on the boat, I get to choose where I want to be on that boat. As the, the captain of the boat, I can in some ways control the direction that that boat is going. But ultimately, if the environment outside, if the weather outside, if the water outside decides that I'm going to go a certain direction, that's the direction that I'm going to go. And that's what we're going to start seeing here is, is there are, are leaders, the leaders that are the president of the United States of America, for example, he can, he can point the boat in a specific direction, but ultimately God is in control. Daniel 4, 1 through 27 is the, the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. And it's complicated. But it, it follows this overall theme in the book of Daniel that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to who he wants. Verses 1 through 3, it says, To the nations and peoples of every language who live in all of the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. So the interesting thing that, that maybe isn't super clear in this moment is that this isn't Daniel speaking anymore. This is King Nebuchadnezzar now coming and saying, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders, his kingdom is an eternal kingdom. This doesn't sound like King Nebuchadnezzar from chapter past where he was throwing people into fiery furnaces, right? So wh wh who put what in his punch that morning, right? What, what's going on? What has made him change? And what we're going to see here in Daniel chapter 4 is the king delivering essentially his seven-minute Sunday. What we're going to see happening here is the king is going to explain, this is what changed in my life. This is what happened to me to bring me to a place of, of relationship with God as for what that means to him. In the portion of the scripture that we're going to be covering this morning, we're going to learn what happens in King Nebuchadnezzar's life to bring him to this particular way of thinking. And starting at verse 4, it says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me, so I commanded that all of the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, and astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. And finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He's called Belshazzar after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy God is in him. 
And he said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the vision I I saw while I was lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a, a holy one, a messenger, some translations say a watcher, coming down from heaven. And he called in a loud voice, cut down the tree, trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The Holy One declares the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can because the Spirit of the Holy God is in you. What we see first, if we're we're going through this discovery phase, what we see first is that God disrupts the ease of King Nebuchadnezzar through a dream. King Nebuchadnezzar doesn't have a whole lot of stuff that disrupts him. He's in his palace. He can look out and survey his entire kingdom. When he wants food, he gets food. When he wants to change his clothes, he changes his clothes. When he wants to get a new palace, he gets a new palace. What, what King Nebuchadnezzar wants, he gets. And so God uses a dream to get his attention. Sometimes for us to, to have our attention brought to where it needs to be brought, our ease has to be disrupted. Uh, a simple dream scares King Nebuchadnezzar and he causes him to call for all of the wise men in his kingdom. You know, for all of King Nebuchadnezzar's faults and all of his shortcomings, he is very sensitive to what's happening in his dream life and recognizing that God is using these things to speak to him. There's an interesting shift that happens in verse 15 that I don't think was lost on King Nebuchadnezzar. The whole time he's, he's discussing this tree. In verse 14 it says, cut down the tree and trim off its branches. And, and the tree is referenced as it. But then all of a sudden in verse 15 there's this, this pivot and it says, let him be drenched with the dew. Let him live, let his mind. And the king starts kind of, Scratching his chin and saying, hmm, this doesn't sound good. Maybe this is 
a little bit more specifically directed to me. And so he scrambles to bring in his crack team that has never failed him in the past, right? He, he brings in... <laughs> That was sarcasm. Uh, he brings in the, these wise men that he has asked for interpretation time after time after time and time after time. They aren't able to do it. Why do we even have this team anymore? They're still on the payroll, but they don't seem to be able to, to do what they need to do. And I mean, imagine being on this crack team. You find out, hey, the king's had a dream. You're like, why do I have to come in and do this? And maybe you're just hoping that he tells you what the dream is this time, since the last time he didn't even tell you that. Notice something. When the king assembles his wise men, his astrologers, his diviners, who isn't in that group? Daniel. When the king tries to get the answer to the dream that he is desperately searching for, he doesn't bring in the guy that's been able to give him the answer all the other times. Maybe the king was looking for an answer that he wanted to hear. Maybe the king already knew what Daniel was going to say. Daniel interpreted the dream's message as informing the king of, of a, a pretty drastic downfall. And in verses 19 through 25, we're going to read that right now. It says, Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time. And his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. And Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky. Your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with dew of heaven and let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree of the Most High that has been issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. There's an important piece here. Daniel cared for the king. He cared for him so much that he couldn't lie to him. Daniel 
pleads with the king in 26 and 27 to, to humble himself before it's too late. He says, the command to leave the stump of the tree and its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge heaven's rule. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice, renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that your prosperity will continue. Daniel begs that the king would change his ways. Humble yourself before it's too late. We're going to pick up at verse 28 next week. But I have to tell you, there is no recording of the king's response to this interpretation. No, thank you, no, I'll take that under advisement, nothing. Before we step too far down the path of judgment, is there a time in my life when God was trying to get my attention and I just said, noted, and moved on? <laughs> Probably. I would, I would rather just keep my life the way it is, thanks. I, I'm comfortable the way I am. I, I don't necessarily need to deal with that right now. Thank you. What we see as an example here is that people would much rather find success on their own than having to involve God in the process. That's why Nebuchadnezzar never brought Daniel in. He's like, we can get this sorted. We don't, we don't need to involve God in this thing. Surely, we can figure this out on our own. Believers, followers of Christ, they're called to position themselves among others to be close enough to say what needs to be said. And yet, to have a burden for that person as they say it. Daniel shows up he gets called in. Maybe he, he, do you think Daniel showed up and was like kind of offended that he wasn't the first person that was called? Like, man, next time, just start with me. I'm the one who's always getting you out of these messes to begin with. Do you think there was any type of interaction like that? Of course there wasn't. Daniel knew exactly what he was called to do. He's supposed to show up and point the leader of this entire empire once again to a God who loves him even though that leader isn't serving him. The last dream that Daniel interpreted for the king was probably years prior, is kind of the consensus. And sometimes it's easy for us to look at the book of Daniel and, and kind of assume that the life of Daniel is just this like daily routine of like a, a fiery furnace happens here and then the next day he's getting chucked in the lion's den and then the day after that he's getting brought before the king to interpret the dream and it's just this ever recurring process. Really, we don't know very much about the life of Daniel. And if these things are separated by years, do you know what Daniel was doing when he wasn't interpreting dreams and when he wasn't getting thrown into the, the lion's den or the fiery furnace? He was doing paperwork, probably. I mean, he was a court official. He was, was probably doing what bureaucrats do. Most days weren't big and dramatic. But when the time came, Daniel was ready to show up. 
It wasn't a, well, hold on, king, I need to go have a Bible study and get, get studied up on what's going on. He maintained relationship the whole time regardless of what the calling was. And so not only was Daniel able to say what needed to be said, he was able to say it the right way, with the right heart. You know that you can say the right thing the wrong way? <laughs> that never happens in church, but... Um, <laughs> can we all agree that it's possible to get one of those without the other two. And what's interesting to me is, is when we hear this, when we look at this, we see that Daniel, Daniel appears to legitimately care for the king. I mean, he is taking that, that scripture out of Jeremiah 29 very specifically in terms of, of seeking out the good of the, the land that he lives in. But consider what has happened to Daniel. He has been captured. He has been trafficked across the country. He has been taken from his, own, his home and everything he knows. He's been under threat of death, forced to interpret dreams. That's kind of terrifying. His friends have been thrown into a fiery furnace. Most people say he was out of town at the time doing something else. But he knows that that took place. The list goes on and on and on and on, and yet Daniel still states that he cares for this guy. Daniel says, I, I wish this wasn't about you. I wish this was about your enemies, but you can still be saved if you repent. If it's me, is there a slight temptation to be like, yeah, you can deal with this. Thank you very much. Maybe think about this next time you want to toss me into a, a lion's den or a fiery furnace or whatever the case may be. As we look at, at verse 25, there is an important truth. No leader has ever been given responsibility outside of God's control. The, the king has been given a lesson that, that hopefully we can learn from, that there is no nation on this earth that is untouchable, including this one. If we look at, at the history books, I mean, if we look at the Bible, it is littered, littered with empires and nations that don't even exist anymore. There is no nation on this earth that is untouchable. God is in control. As we look at verse 27, Daniel is trying to share with the king how he can repent, how he can change his ways. And he talks about being kind to the oppressed. And it's interesting to note that the, the sin that exists in our lives and the sin that we, we see is so often connected to the oppression of other people. You're like, well, that's not, that's not the case in the, the things that, that happen in my life. But the fact of the matter is for me to get my way, my sinful, prideful, arrogant way, for me to get that way, more often than not, it involves someone else not getting theirs. 
It involves oppressing someone else. And so Daniel is sharing with the king that there is a, a, a way to, to turn back from this. And it involves eliminating the, the oppression that, that has come about within your, your sphere of influence. So what does this mean? What does this mean for us today? We're called to tell other people what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. You guys ever have to have hard conversations? I feel like I have to have hard conversations a lot. <laughs> I have to, to have hard conversations in, in my other job that, that I, I work with. It involves employees that I, I am training and coaching and sometimes have to discipline and re reprimand. That's, that's a hard conversation to have. Sometimes I have to have conversations with clients that are upset with me on something that they think that we did that we didn't do, but it's our fault. And so that's a hard conversation. Sometimes I have to have conversations with clients that talks about how much money they have to pay and that I need them to pay more money. And that's never a fun conversation to have. <laughs> That's just in one area of my life, but, but I'm a father and I'm a pastor and I, and I have all of these other hats, just like all of you have all of these other hats. And, and in all of those places, there are so many areas of temptation just to say what somebody wants to hear. Man, I, I could save so much time. I could save so much anguish if I just told the person what they wanted to hear and just go on about my day. But the fact of the matter is that is not what we're called to do in the kingdom of God. There, there is not growth that happens when we tell someone what they want to hear. There is not salvation that comes about when we just tell someone what they want to hear. People don't want to hear about how all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Most people aren't super excited about that. But the fact of the matter is they have to know because otherwise they're not going to know that they need salvation. Awkward conversations are necessary. Don't try to create conviction without compassion. In order to have that conversation that, that explains, yes, there, there is a problem that exists in your life, but there is hope and I have it for you. There is a way and I care for you too much to let you stay the way you are today. That's the type of conversation that Daniel's having with the king. Is, there is a problem, there is a disaster that is coming your way, and I care for you too much to let you stay this way. Church, that is what we are called to do. We are called to go out and, and share with people, not just the, the judgment that's coming their way, but the judgment and the solution We're called to participate in, in the process of, of leading our cities, leading our states and our countries, leading the nations. We're called to engage in civic responsibility, but not to substitute that for divine sovereignty. We're called to still recognize that in the midst of, of city councils and senates and, and supreme courts that God is still on his throne. And the, the final lesson that we, we get to take from this morning 
is that if you choose not to repent, that's your choice. But wouldn't it be easier than spending seven years eating grass? Yeah, (laughs) it would be. And, you know, unfortunately, sometimes it's not quite that black and white where we get to just say, hey, it's either seven years eating grass and getting rained on or just say, yeah, your your way's good, thanks. (laughs) But the, the fact of the matter is sometimes it is that clear. And so that's the question is, do we repent now or do we regret that we didn't? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. God, we ask that you would just cause us to be mindful of the fact that you are sovereign, that you are on your throne. Your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And you are in control. You are all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful, in control of where the city, where the state, where this nation is going, where this world is going. And God, we submit ourselves to you, to your wisdom, to your power and authority. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 